With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Burden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is more ridiculous at cricket. Is it England or is it Australia? And the new series we're about to cover is the 2013 Ashes. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a new series, so I'll, I'll try and do a proper, this is the way it works, because I sometimes uh, <laughs> skip over this a bit. Uh, but new series, potentially new listeners, this is, this is what we do. Each episode, we look at one test match, and revolutionaries that we are, we do them in order, starting with the first one of the series, second, third, fourth, and fifth. Uh, the actual result of the match is not that important. Um, <laughs> not in itself. Uh, we instead pick out the most ridiculous ridiculous moments delivered by each side uh, and at the end we pick out our top three and we award three two and one points to these three moments uh, and whichever team scores most points wins that ridiculous ashes test and then next episode we do the next test and at the end of the series we see who's who's won more tests and who's taken that ridiculous ashes series yes um ridiculousness comes in many forms uh, and a lot of this is about weighing that up and defining and redefining it and i think i think our de- definition is quite malleable <laughs> i think we we squidge it around quite a bit but uh, uh we like to think it makes sense within each episode at least um i'm english so i'll nominate england's ridiculous moments dan is australian so he will nominate australia's and then we shed our nationalities to decide on that top three at the end yes um Shall we, as it's the start of the series, shall we, shall we set the scene for the series first? Yeah, that's uh, that, that's always a good idea before one of these series. So uh, we'll do a bit of a preamble, let everybody know where, where the two sides were ridiculous cricket-wise heading into the series. So I'll, I'll start with the Australian perspective because uh, this was a side which is like in terrible cricket form, but just in absolutely outstanding ridiculous cricket <laughs> form. That often goes that way. It does indeed, yes. Uh, earlier in 2013, uh, just before this, this Ashes tour, 
or Australia had gone to India and they'd lost 4-0. Oh, I mean, there's no shame in that. Uh, but more hilariously, uh, before the third test, four players, uh, Shane Watson, James Pattinson, Mitchell Johnson and Usman Khawaja, were all suspended for not doing their homework, which is just a magnificent <laughs> series. Uh, Watto immediately flew home for the birth of his first child for that third test that he was suspended for. And then he flew straight back for the fourth test where an injury to Captain Michael Clark meant he was now the captain. Uh, and I will, of course, be covering all of this in a future ridiculous Border Gavaskar series podcast. Uh, but then a few m- months later, less than like three weeks before this Ashes series began, uh, Australia sacked their coach, Mickey Arthur. They said, Darren Lehman, you're up for the job. And uh, this was shortly after David Warner had been suspended for punching Joe Root in a pub, uh, which in turn came shortly after Warner enthusiastically tweeted, how good are turtles after seeing a documentary on the BBC? (laughs) So Australia were just brimming with uh, nonsense confidence at this point. Uh, It's it's a little bit difficult to see how England can match them, but what, what were England up to? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like form going into a series, that's like it's like a tsunami coming towards England at this point. I'm not sure it's uh, rarely has a team in, been in finer form than that. Uh, England were, I don't know, really. They were they were post Andrew Strauss and just sort of hoping, like in terms of actual cricket, just sort of hoping they could carry on much the same under Alistair Cook. Uh, but obviously Strauss's retirement meant they had a worse opener and a worse captain and quite a few other players were tipping past their peaks yes. uh, probably a year or two past their best uh, but ridiculousness wise Kevin Peterson had fallen out with everyone big time in 2012 at the end of Strauss's time and then they'd had uh, the fairly laughable reintegration thing which they'd made big play about so, so to refresh my memory on this so P- Peterson basically was suspended or was given a rest or what, what, what exactly happened there yeah he was just I think he was kicked out, unavailable for selection for for, for a time, and then yep. they decided to bring him back. And the, the, it, it, it was all really formal. The reintegration thing was really formalised. It was an absolute <laughs> joke. And it, yeah, so he was just he was recently back in the side after having fallen out with basically everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of that had overshadowed everyone else really. So yeah, I, I can't. It was hard to say what kind of ridiculous form everyone else was in because it had all it all been about KP, really. From a less ridiculous standpoint, just from a pure cricketing standpoint, this was actually the first time in almost a quarter of a century that Australia had come to England without the Ashes in their possession. So that was very, very strange. And uh, frankly, they didn't have much hope of winning the back either because I think uh, the, the 2010-11 series had been uh, very eye-opening for Australian fans because uh, I, I think Australian fans had said, all right, 2005, that's fine because we whitewashed you in 2006-07 and then we looked at 2009 and said oh I don't really know what happened there but that's probably just another weird fluke and uh, you know that, that, that'll that be okay but then being thrashed at home in 2010-11 had uh, a lot of Australian fans going oh wait a second are we, are we a shit side now <laughs> and uh, and perhaps even worse than that realisation was uh, are England actually good and so yeah I, I think 2013 was the first time in, in a very very long time that Australian fans went into an Ashes series not expecting to win it well I think we were in a very unfamiliar position as well for kind of the reverse reasons. Uh, I think yep. England fans were cautiously confident, but like you say, years mm. of experience, like, um, well, they meant we had a, quite a troubled relationship with hope, let alone expectations. Yes. So it yep. was very, very qualified optimism. Uh, Austra- but, you know, Australia did seem pretty messy, and England were much the same side that won down under. So, yeah, I would say England were 
England fans were as confident as an England fan can be ahead of an Ashes series, really. Yeah, not very. <laughs> All right, so so that's kind of that's kind of laid the platform of what we're about to deal with here. So I'll I'll just run through a, a quick summary of what happened, non ridiculous cricket wise, in, in the first test. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, we're at Trent Bridge for this first test, and England captain Alastair Cook he won the toss and decided to have a bat, and uh, the top six for England all reached double figures, but failed to reach 50 because Peter Siddle uh, came from nowhere. He took five for 50 to knock England over for just 215. Uh, which didn't seem like uh, enough at first, but then it seemed more than enough because Australia pretty much immediately collapsed from 108 for four to 117 for nine. But then there was this staggering counter-attacking 98 from the number 11, uh, teenage debutant Ashton Agar, who was uh, inexplicably selected ahead of Nathan Lyon, uh, somehow uh, teamed up with Philip Hughes to see Australia take a 65-run lead after they added 163 for the final (laughs) wicket. England batted again, and despite a couple of early wickets, there were half-centuries from Cook and Kevin Peterson, and then a 138-run seventh-wicket partnership between Centurion Ian Bell and Stuart Broad. Uh, That meant England finished on 375 all-out, which meant Australia needed 311 for victory. And at 231 for nine, Australia were pretty much doomed. But then there was another bold uh, last-wicket partnership. This time it was between Brad Haddon and James Patterson, and they took Australia to within 15 runs of victory before James Anderson completed a 10-wicket haul for the match by having Haddon caught behind for 71. Quite the match. Quite a match. An absolute banger of a test match in my book, uh, by which I mean literally in my book. I, I put it 14th in my rankings of the 50 greatest Australian cricket matches of the past 50 years, which is available in all good bookstores. It's good in my book too, which is unpublished. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's go through these nominations, shall we? Do you want to yeah. go first with this one? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I, I'm kind of a bit uncomfortable covering this series and this match in particular because of how ridiculous it is and people remember it as being ridiculous and yes loads of it is so familiar i almost feel a bit redundant like what what we're going <laughs> to add but my, my first nomination sidesteps that because i'm going to go with something a lot less obvious which is jonathan trott's test match mm-hmm. uh, this is a slightly greedy nomination because it actually comprises three moments <laughs> always always a good move you know, yeah like, nomination. just lump them in together but he had a quietly ludicrous match and uh, I think it's worth highlighting. So in the first innings uh, he inside edged the drive onto his stumps and he was furious about this uh, at which point he did what all of us want to do when you're furious when you get out which try and twat the stumps out of the ground with your back <laughs> so he advanced on them and he, he, he got his bat up and he was about to swing and it, I think he's in the sort of downswing when you can see him have a, a rethink his, his conscious brain kicks in and says there's going to be a terrible consequence if you go ahead and do this so he just kind of reins it in and what i really love about this is that it's, it's not really that bad a thing is it it's just no a bit, yeah. bit of wood yeah an umpire would have just come over and put them back in if he did it but then there would have been an aftermath yeah there's no real world consequence to this but as a mm. cricketer on tv people would be aghast if if he'd have <laughs> like, hammered the stumps with his bat so he, he realizes this and what he does instead is he just kind of stares them out for a bit like it's the stumps <laughs> fault like <laughs> Yes. So that's the first moment. and uh, it, It's just very nice. It's always Jonathan Trott as well. I, I think there's a lot sort of going on in there. There <laughs> is indeed, yes. Um, the second thing is, as we were prepping for this uh, episode, I, I do what I quite often do is check my own website to see if I'd written anything about the match. And one of the posts titled, We Were at Trent Bridge Today, which was news <laughs> to me. I had totally forgotten I'd been at this match, but it did jog my memory. 
And one of the things uh, which I remarked upon at the time, and I remember, I remember vividly, probably because I wrote about it, was mm. that Jonathan Trott was fielding at fine leg. And uh, who were the openers for Australia? Was it Watson and... It was Watson and... Uh, wasn't Ed Cowan. It was uh, Chris Rogers, I think. Yeah, so right-hander, left-hander. So it might have been the start yes. of the inning. Um, Jonathan Trott was at fine leg, but he was at fine leg for both of them. <laughs> um, so... They were sort of taking singles, and he was going from fine leg to fine leg. And then at one point, I th- uh, this is the way I remember it. He went from fine leg for the right-hander to fine leg for the left-hander. Then it was the end of the over, and he <laughs> went to the opposite fine leg, and then it was a single. So he was basically just doing complete laps of Trent Bridge while everyone else was just kind of shuffling around in the middle. Jonathan Trott was just covering miles and miles and miles. That was just a very vivid memory for me and something you don't really sort of see on TV. Uh, and the third thing was his golden duck in the second innings, which is mm. a thing in itself but uh, he was given not out LBW and almost certainly hit it uh, but yes. Australia reviewed it and it was then given out by TV umpire Marais Erasmus which is quite the move uh, <laughs> Sky Sports who supplied the hotspot cameras told Erasmus that the delivery to Trot was not recorded because the technology had been queued up to show the previous delivery which was obviously a dismissal it was yes. Joe Root getting caught down the leg side I've got a quote from hotspot creator Warren Brennan who said my operator did not trigger the system in order to cater for the trot delivery. Instead, the operator sat on the root delivery in order to offer a replay from the previous ball and did not realise until it was too late that he should have triggered the system for the trot delivery as the priority. But the silly thing is that Root didn't even review his cut behind. <laughs> but if he had, there was nothing on Hotspot. <laughs> that's, that's just a wild uh, couple of couple of deliveries of events. So, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's entire test is a masterclass on comedy reviewing and not reviewing, as we yeah. will see as we go along. And obviously, while all that's going on and Trot's walking off, it, it's about to be a hat-trick ball as well. So yes. <laughs> it's very hard yeah. to sort of hold all this in your head. Yeah, I mean, he, he was... If if there wasn't an inside edge there, um, then he was he was definitely out because it was a classic stark in swinging unplayable Yorker. But <laughs> yeah. I think everybody yeah was is pretty convinced that he, he got a tiny feather on, on it on the inside edge. But uh, yeah, that was very funny. Yeah. I mean, not not so funny for poor old Jonathan Trott, who at least uh, didn't didn't uh, think of hitting the stumps. He might have thought of you know hitting the third umpire on the way out or uh, his own legs, yeah. and maybe trying to hit his own bat with his bat. If his bat was yes. to blame, I don't know how you'd pull that off. Yes, you need to do a Mike Carberry style bat snap to achieve that. All right, so that's a very fine nomination. My first nomination is the selection of Steve Smith, which uh, <laughs> we, we do have a regular segment on on this uh, podcast called Hindsight Corner, which Hindsight is where things. Don't seem ridiculous at the time, but are ridiculous in hindsight. This is this is pretty much the the opposite of that because yeah. selecting Steve Smith to play in a test match doesn't seem ridiculous at all now. But at the time, it was it was very very strange uh, because he played seven tests by this stage. He had more wickets than fifties. He had four wickets and three fifties, which was probably not that surprising since he was supposed to be a leg spinner. Uh, <laughs> but in this test, he was selected to bat at five, which was a little little peculiar. He had a batting average of thirty two point. Three, uh, highest score of 92, but he, he still didn't really seem like a number five, uh, particularly in comparison to you know predecessors such as Mike Hussey and Steve Waugh. He, he didn't really seem in that kind of league. It was all all very laughable to select Steve Smith as a specialist batter. Yeah, he um, coming to the side for the series in India, I think. Yes, 
I think if, I think he only made it into the squad. He came back in largely because he bowled spin. You know that thing you always do if you're going to India. You pick the batsman yes. who bowls a bit of spin. Uh, and then he got a game when Watson and Kawaja were suspended. Yes. Yeah, might, might as well chuck him in. Uh, he, he at least did his homework, presumably. <laughs> yes. Key. <laughs> Rewarded for that. Made 92 mm. uh, and just sort of hung around. <laughs> he wasn't in the original Ashes party, but then he came in after the Warner thing. Because Warner, Warner had been sent off to South Africa at this stage with Australia A because of the punching Joe Root in the head thing. <laughs> yeah, good to South Africa. <laughs> yes. I, I think the running gag at the time was that Steve Smith was being selected because he he was, quote, great in the dressing room. He was he was a, a jokester and everyone liked having him around. Yeah, that was that was his own fault because he, well, I don't know if it's his own fault, but he, uh, he gave an interview where he'd said, uh, a couple of years before, I think, where he, he said it's about having energy in the field and making sure I'm having fun and <laughs> making sure everyone else is having fun, whether it be telling a joke or something like that. And I reckon if he had has said whether it be telling a joke or something I reckon he'd have got away with that if just you know being energetic and things but as soon as he mentioned like telling a joke everyone was like oh is that what you've been doing <laughs> which seems really weird now because he seems like Steve Smith's personality now just seems the, the opposite exactly of it just seems like yeah. super focused inward looking crazy person yeah exactly like I, I can't imagine Steve Smith cracking a joke at all like the funniest thing he's done in recent times is get trapped in an elevator and have <laughs> Manus come feed him M&Ms through the door <laughs> You can't claim credit yeah. for that, can you? He's <laughs> the straight man in that scenario. Exactly. Back in those days, you can find these great photos of him like playing with lion cubs, all delighted, and he's dressed in zebra onesies, and he's lots of fun. He's, he's lots of making sure everyone else around him is having fun as well. Clearly, fun and, was his Achilles heel, and once he renounced fun, he became this incredible test batsman. Yeah, maybe. Make note, kids. No fun. <laughs> as kind of a, an example of... Uh, the, the the level of kind of disdain in which he was held. I found a tweet uh, around this era by by friend of the podcast Peter Miller the, at the Cricket Geek, and he pointed out in in absolute amazement that Steve Smith had played more matches for Australia than Brad Hodge. Hashtag cricket, believe it or not, <laughs> which struck everybody as insane at the time. Damien Martin actually manually quote tweeted Peter with the one word response joke. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, he's, he's amusing. He's amusing Damien Martin as well, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, despite all this scepticism, Smith made fifty-three and seventeen in the test. Didn't bowl a single delivery, enough to get him a start in the second test. So there you go. That, that's my nomination. Steve Smith being selected. Yeah, it's a quietly good nomination. That's actually, uh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, my next nomination. Um Similar to the previous one, so again, a bit greedy, but I reckon I can get away with it this time because uh, I'm confident it won't get any points. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, Stephen Finn's test match, but I've got to mention it because there's one element of it in particular that I absolutely love. Um, this one's <laughs> even bigger. Actually. There's four elements to this one. Oh, wow. So number Cramming one, number one uh, Finn was caught behind for a golden dock in the first thing. It's pretty silly in itself, but then he yep. reviewed it and he'd hit it. <laughs> so it's <that's> pretty good. <laughs> Um, number two, he got as close to a hat trick as you like to get in Australia's first inning with a delivery that I'm pretty sure went through Michael Clark's off bail. It was so close. Yeah, that because he, he just dismissed uh, Watto caught it slip, then Ed Cowan first ball caught it slip, and then Clark came in and Clark played a miss. Yeah, as you say, won that. Yeah, I don't know how it didn't either take the edge or bowl him or both. Yeah, either or. Um, number three. 
Um, late in Australia's second innings, he did a crab dance, and this is my favourite <laughs> one. This is the one that I'm like, it's all hanging off the crab dance, really. Uh, it's probably my favourite moment of the entire match, which, given the match, is quite something. <laughs> but so he was fielding out in the deep. Uh, Brad had in like was heading it there. He was heading it. Yeah, exactly. that's precisely what was happening. He hadn't it out that in that general direction, and Finn just clearly didn't see it. And because he didn't see it, there was absolutely no reason for him to move because what was he moving towards? He had no idea. He didn't know where to go. But he wanted to show willing. So he sort of skittered side to side, you know, like a real look, I'm trying things. So he's left and right. And just looking like you're keen and you want to, I want to make the catch. The only, the only issue is I have no idea where the ball is. <laughs> Um, yep. And I just I like the mentality and the the, the showing willing is is really key to that for me. Yes, and then not long after good. that there is there was another moment which not quite as good but uh, another sort of I think it was probably presumably heading again. It was heading yes towards him and um, he he appeared to try and take a catch with his mouth like a, a deep square <laughs> like basking shark. Uh, there's a slow mo replay where you see Finn closing in on the ball and his mouth is so wide open. I think he's. So of, I don't know if he's still thinking of like his uh, his crab dance effort earlier. He's thinking this is a chance to make amends. So he's very excited. His mouth's open. He's gasping, and you can see he's excited. And as he gets closer, his mouth just seems to get more and more <laughs> open until he's basically just like this giant mouth. Uh, and I don't think he takes it. But uh, no, it, 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 I mean it was a very tough chance. It was it was kind of the equivalent of that ridiculous catch that uh, Glenn McGrath took that time in Adelaide, where like he had to run a long way and then dive full length, and he, he just yeah. Didn't quite so get he got a long sight of it, and because you're sort of mm. running towards the camera, you you see him yes. along, sort of thinking about it. it. But it's one of those where you're not standing under it; you're actually running mm. towards it. So it's a very active but prolonged thing. I can't really describe yes. it, but it it was great. Not as good as the crab dance, but great. Yeah, the crab dance was spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Time to bring out the big Are guns here. We're into here. it now. We're into the. We, let, let's now. get serious about this test. Let, let's get serious about the ridiculousness of this test, <laughs> because my next nomination is. Ashton Agar's 98. Well, there's a right out of left field. I didn't expect that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, strap in. All right, so just just being selected in the side was complete nonsense. That was Darren Lehman basically was just no no real reason to select Ashton Agar. It just felt more like a desire to make a statement as a new coach. I don't think he really believed that Agar was a better spinner than Nathan Lyon. <laughs> um, pretty much nobody in Australia had ever heard of him. Um, but Lehman said, nah, I'm the new coach. I'm going to do something, pull something out of my hat. And in his hat, apparently, was Ashton Agar. Um, so the, poor old Nathan Lyon gave it a miss, which, which there, there was a theoretical problem with this as well, which uh, um, a couple of people pointed out. Lyon was the keeper of the team's song. So if Australia were to win the match, it was unclear who'd sing it. Presumably, Ashton Agar has a beautiful singing voice as well. So Yeah. I mean, presumably, Australia just weren't that confident. They didn't feel <laughs> yeah, an issue to leave out the, uh, the song keeper. Yes. Yes. So anyway, Agar's in. Agar's batting uh, batting at 11 because he's just this young kid. Uh, and, you know, Australia in their first innings collapsed 117 for nine, which felt very, very typical at the time. Australian fans, you know, they're just toured India, so they're very resigned to this kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then Agar did this carefree counter-attack, which was, at the time, felt like the most thrilling thing you'd ever seen in your life. It was just absolutely crazy. Um, I, I went to a wedding the next day, and everybody there was talking about the Agar innings, and not 
I'm not talking about to me because they knew I was a cricket fan. The the minister worked it into his pre-wedding material. <laughs> he, he basically just ham-fisted, you know, an Ashton Agar reference into the surface as he was marrying <laughs> these people. It was just absolute Agar mania for, for a, you know, at least a couple of days. So he became the first number 11 to score a 58 on debut. It was the highest 10th wicket partnership at the time. Highest score by number 11. And it was quite, uh, it was one of the most ridiculous and most fun uh, few hours I've ever had on social media. Uh, pretty much everybody on Australian cricket tw- Twitter could barely contain themselves. I was making jokes um, and pretty much every joke I made uh, quickly turned into actual things that happened. So I tweeted, <laughs> no pressure, Agar, but we need a record 10th wicket partnership here. And he went and did it. Like I did that as he came to the crew. Uh, it, it was absolutely bonkers um and at one point i coined the phrase agar bomb to describe the sixes that agar was hitting which among other things uh got a reply from an excitable former australian cricketer uh one, one who'd played just a single test 18 months earlier before injuring himself and this uh cricketer replied to me he keeps smashing agar bombs exclamation mark exclamation mark uh that that, that was a young pat cummins who, who was very excited about this um and uh, and of course as we know as brilliant as the innings was, as brilliant as the you know the response uh, to it was uh, on social media and everywhere else, he was caught uh, by Swan off the bowling abroad for 98. And his reaction is just this extra layer of nonsense, which an, an adorable shrug of, oh, well, these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> just one of the most bonker things I've ever seen. Yeah, they, I think sometimes, I mean, particularly in the moment, you think, oh, no, he could have had 100, but with, well... Is this hindsight corner? I'm not too sure. The benefit of hindsight. Hindsight corner. The, the, being out for 98 and the reaction to it is more memorable than making 100, I would say. Because I so, it yeah. just, it, it's the contrast with everybody else as well, because <laughs> there's visible dismay in the dressing room, like it cuts the Australia dressing room, and everyone's just, you know, the head in hands or like, you know, on the railings and things. They just like absolutely <laughs> gutted. Graham Swan's going off his nut. He's just like throwing the ball and screaming and going wild because he's caught Ashton Agar. Well, why wouldn't he be? He's just, caught, he's just caught out a batter who's averaging 98 in test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but up, up until that morning, he'd probably never even heard of Ashton Agar. Yeah. going absolutely wild. Uh, whereas Agar's just kind of, eh, oh, well, you know, he's coming to go. <laughs> the commentary uh, of the innings, if you watch the highlights, is basically just Jeff Boycott saying, shot, every single boundary. <laughs> That's basically just all it is. Um, except at one point where he likens, uh, likens Agar to Sobers, uh, to Gary Sobers, which sounds like a big compliment, except I'd noticed that in England's innings, he'd likened Stuart Broad to Gary Sobers, which diminishes that a touch, I would say. So, so boycott didn't rate Sobers, is what you're saying, right? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, for England fans, this kind of felt like familiar territory because England had also conceded the highest score by a number 11 12 months earlier uh, when Tino Best had made 95. So this was just an annual tradition. <laughs> And then a year later, Jimmy Anderson would make uh, 81 against India batting at number 11. It was just a thing that happened that just felt so, so familiar. Uh, they're, they're, they're still the three highest number 11 scores. So it's just a wild uh, trio of years for England cricket fans there. Yeah. And there's a certain thing about last minute wicket partnerships as well, where you know they hit a few early on and everyone's kind of thinking oh, this is, it'll be over in a minute. He's just going to miss one mm. in a minute. There's a certain point, I think usually, I reckon it's after the past 50, probably somewhere around 60, 
the fielding side suddenly realizes we have got no control of this. This is completely <laughs> out of our hands now. The gods have intervened, and this is just happening until something happens other than us that prevents this. And usually that's the play gets into the 90s and starts doing something slightly different. But from 60 to 90, I think you put nailed on. You're just, you're just away. Unless there's like a match situation which makes it nervy before that. Yes. But if it's yeah. just a player slogging away, then until they get in the 90s, you just got to like suck it up and just. I mean, the other, the other great, the other great thing about this partnership was that, uh, you know, Philip Hughes at the other end, who was kind of renowned as a dasher himself, decided, yeah. no, nah, I'm just going to just give the straight second fiddle here <laughs> with number 11. I mean, kudos to him for, for doing yeah. that, really, because it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> made, made the innings. Um, the, I mean, another great thing is that. So he was saying that no one really knew who he was. So between the first innings and the second innings, Agar batted at 11 in the first innings, and then he was promoted to number eight for the second <laughs> innings, which is yep. mental. That's like, as a leap, that is crazy. <laughs> how well do you know a player? How well do you really know them if you move them from number 11 to number eight on the evidence of just one innings? I would say not very well. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, when he came in, the crowd chanted, who are you, who are you? <laughs> as, as we mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Pattinson also uh, took on the magic number 11 spot and he, he was 25 not out. So he was unbeaten uh, as well in the second innings. Yeah, who knew? Who knows what he could have gone on to. Mm. I, I remember joking that Australia batted all the way down to number 11. It's just that they didn't bat all the way up to number one was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. So yeah, so Ashton Agar, that's, that's my second nomination and I dare you to match it. Okay. Okay, I'll match it. Stuart Broad not walking. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think everyone knows this, but I'll briefly describe. Stuart Broad edged Agar behind. It came off Haddon's glove and went to Michael Clark at slip. Mm-hmm. Uh, Broad stood still. Alan Gar, <laughs> Alan Dar didn't give him out. Australia didn't have any reviews left, and that was that. It was. I mean, um, Australia barely even appealed for it at first. It was like, oh, good. Stuart Broad's out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There were two elements to the re- reaction. First of all, Australia didn't really react because it was so obviously out. And then once he'd been given not out and they'd realised that he that was that and they had no reviews, they, well, there was displeasure, but it wasn't like looking back on it now it, and the sort of reputation that it has, it didn't seem quite as jarring and as like, uh, it wasn't, uh, I don't know, they weren't up in the umpire's face like footballers or anything, were they? Yeah, it wasn't Mike Gadding screaming at an umpire or anything. They, they, they were actually pretty... For, for all the criticism of Australian players get sometimes, that there was just some mostly confused looks and a few muttered asides yeah. and a slightly more dogmatic chewing of the gum from Clark, and, and that was pretty much it. Everyone yeah. else in Australia lost their mind, but uh, <laughs> the, the players themselves... Were... That's it. I think it's the, the wider reception to it. So the the public response and the media response to it was so enough. I mean, famously giving rise to Stuart Broad uh, treatment in the following Ashes series and walking in with the Courier Mail under his arm and all that, which we've covered previously. Yes, and and to hear more about that, uh, please see our <laughs> earlier season covering the 2013-14 Ashes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of it is that. But the players themselves are a lot more level-headed. I mean, but, sorry, I'll come mm. to that in a second. But, but the other thing I wanted to mention was that I'm sure I remember a period just before this, which I may have misremembered, where Alim Dar was right so reliably. He was correct so reliably <laughs> that people were joking that you just shouldn't review his decisions because he had greater accuracy than Hawkeye. I'm sure that <laughs> happened. But then, I don't know. This test happened. Yeah, uh, I think maybe that's true. Maybe that's what happened. Although I remember Warren saying something about 
oh, Dar gets all the big decisions wrong. That's why he shouldn't be in these matches. So certainly in some people's <laughs> eyes, he already had that um, reputation. Yeah, although, you know, God bless Shane Warren, but he, he was not always uh, accurate in some of his assessments <coughs> on these things. He, he very much lived in the moment, did Shane? That's true. So uh, just to give a couple of the reaction, um, first of all, we'll give Stuart Broad's re- reaction because this is, <laughs> I would argue, the definitive Stuart Broad moment because it's annoying, it's brassy, it's shameless, and he's almost proud of it afterwards. Um, Stuart Broad said, it wasn't as clear-cut as everyone had thought, although I knew I'd hit it. <laughs> it's just almost contradictory, but it's uh, a pretty good assessment of the situation. Yeah, uh, and then uh, Peter Siddle was interviewed about it afterwards because everyone, yeah, I think it's one of those where play goes on and maybe not much happens for a little bit, and uh, it gets talked about more and more, and it builds the the sort of mm. the moment builds more than maybe even the players realise. So Peter Siddle was asked about it afterwards, and he said, "How many how many people have ever walked? Some, that's right, some." So Peter Siddle's <laughs> on Stuart Broad's side. He's not exactly rattling his saber, sort of enraged about it. He says, um, "Obviously, people are going to be frustrated." but it's hard out there for players for umpires it's a long day it's a tough day for people out there things are going to happen we just have to deal with it that's just a part of the game and spectators have to understand that but there are times when things like that happen so Peter Siddle incredibly phlegmatic about it he's far too measured and reasonable for an Asher series I'm not sure what he's doing I think no he was very much the uh, senior statesman by this point wasn't he because mm. all the new uh, all before the series there have been all the new young bowlers uh, Pattinson and Stark have been talked up as being like like the real game changes, and then day one, Peter's gone out and taken five wickets. Yep. Yes. I, I, I particularly like that it was Agar who theoretically should have taken his wicket because Broad was the one who got Agar. Agar should have had Broad, and and I, I particularly like the lead up to to the Broad. Um, non-wicket because Agar's first wicket was caught a slip his second wicket was caught by Haddon and his third wicket should have re- been <laughs> you know rebounded off Haddon and caught it slip so yeah. uh, mag- magnificent and and the fact that Australia had no reviews left delicious yeah that was a key element which brings me to my final nomination which is burning reviews uh, because despite uh, Broads not walking and Australia having no reviews to correct the situation Australia went into their fourth innings run chase no qualms about burning reviews. Uh, Watto, out LBW, of course, um, reviewed it, umpire's call. And uh, in those days, umpire's call wasn't enough to retain a review. So that review was gone, uh, gone with the opener. I think you'd bank on that. I think if yeah. you were Australia, I think we're sticking what I was opening. That's part of the cost of having him open the innings. We could bat him at seven. Now they allow an extra review for the batters, but no, we'll stick yep. him up top. Yes. Uh, but after Watto, Clark feathered one behind. He decided he'd burn a review in the hope that Hotspot didn't pick it up. Maybe he thought that, you know, it was still being checked or hadn't reset from the previous delivery. Anyway, Eva's uh, Hotspot did pick it up, so he wasted a review. I think this was the era of Vaseline on outside edges, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, there, there was, that was the other rumour as well. So maybe he was testing that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure how that worked, but uh, it seemed to be, uh, yeah, a, a, as we saw it, uh, it worked both ways because sometimes you want you want an edge to show up on hotspot and sometimes yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was it. I think it was like you 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 vaseline the outside edge of the bat. Yeah. That's more likely to be caught, and you leave you know you sandpaper up the inside edge, make sure there's definitely a... yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, you put a few little hot marks and heat up a few points on the bat just to on the inside edge to hope that that gets picked up and saves you. Yep. Anyway, I, I think reviews renewed themselves after 80 overs in those days. 
days, but I still think, you know, they, they were burnt so badly by not having one for the broad catch. They might have been a little bit more careful about throwing them away on these marginal calls. Uh, but no, they were, they were just chucking them away. And then kind of as the perfect climax, England won the test via a review they had up their sleeve when Haddon was given not out, caught behind. Yeah, uh, the other thing to note is that if if Australia still had reviews, still had reviews when Broad had edged uh, to slip by the keeper, would he have walked? Because <laughs> I don't know if he'd factor that in, but he, he would be thinking like it's it, like Broad's pretty brassy, but. Mm. Um, to, to, I mean, if you know, if you're more confident that you're going to be given out, uh, yeah, just kind of sidestep that by just walking off. I don't think he would have, to be honest, but you know, it raises that possibility. I've, he should have, he should have come out and said he would have, though. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, that would have. I'm surprised that he didn't. Maybe I just haven't seen it, but that would be the most broad thing to do, wouldn't it? Just kind of rub it in. A, a, a rare miss from the great man. Yeah, to just sort of find salt and sprinkle it <laughs> over those wounds, rub it in. Yeah. This was this was the era when everyone just routinely made reference to reviews being there for the howler yes. uh, i think people still say howler but it, not mm. so much i think because when it, it first few years of drs that was it, the people just said it so often it seemed like it was this defined thing enshrined in the laws of the game that oh well that's yes. not a howler you you should not be using a review for that that is not in the spirit of cricket to be using a review for a non-howler <laughs> it's outrageous yeah there, there were no there, you weren't supposed to there were no such thing as tactical reviews i was just for the, these these mythical howlers, yeah. Um, but, but before the series began, I published an, an Ashes scavenger hunt where you scored points for spotting certain events during the series, and one of them was <laughs> commentators start droning on about howlers after the DRS <laughs> controversy. Five points. So apparently, this was very predictable. Yeah. Um, you, you could also earn 80 points if you spotted commentators start droning on about howlers after Australia's middle order turn into werewolves. <laughs> so that was worth 80 points. Right. Um, have you anything else to add to that? Or should we move into our usual uh, unnominated moments? Having our cake let's, do, let's do some unnominated ones. We all, we, th- those are our three nominations each, but we always like to like highlight a few of the things that we, we, we spotted that uh, mm. worth a mention, but aren't, aren't, yes. aren't eligible for, uh, for the the podium first thing in mind i i've historically liked to uh, pick batting collapses and <laughs> england in their first innings went from 213 for six which is real oh they'll be aiming for 300 here to 215 all out so four <laughs> wickets for two runs which was yep. i'd say a touch disappointing yes yes that was a, a decent decent little mini collapse of the tail there i i, I we, i've got a joint nomination here for both sides because it was it was very noticeable that uh three times in three innings we had a bowler on a hat trick so we had stark in the first innings finn in the second as we mentioned Stark again in the second innings and then uh, I think uh, you spotted that Clark and Smith were out of consecutive balls in the fourth innings yes Clark to Broad and Smith to Swan so yeah, every so innings had a potential three wickets in three ball scenario but mm. no but no wicket actually delivered on it yes uh, I think Finn was involved in Stark's hat trick as well possibly sounds very plausible yes so he was really getting in amongst it <laughs> um Minor one, but uh, Stuart Broad's 65 off 148 balls uh, is still his second longest innings after the 100 against Pakistan. Very That's kind impressive. of a neat stat one. Uh, England won the opening test match of an Ashes series for the first time since 1997. And uh, you can hear us talk about that on our very first season, which covered the 1997 Ridiculous Ashes. So scroll <laughs> back up in your list of uh, episodes there. We've done quite well. We've advertised two of our previous mm. series uh, yep. within one episode. Um, but they're all good. 
Mm, they are. <laughs> I should emphasize, even the ones we've not been promoting. I can't remember what one of them is. <laughs> uh, I think the missing one's 2009. We haven't promoted that. So go, go listen to the 2009 Ridiculous Ashes. Yeah, one. refresh your memory. I'll maybe go and do that as well. <laughs> um, a sort of minor point, but um, we, we've been through all the things that happened in this match, all the ridiculous things that happened. And uh, man of the match was Jimmy Anderson, who's barely <laughs> yes. warranted a mention. Yep. Uh, Ten wicket match, which kind of been overshadowed by everything else uh, but he also he bowled 56 overs in this test which is quite a lot and then mm. later later the same week had to go out and bowl again in the next test I mean a few quite a few of the bowls have bowled a, a good number of overs but it's just a measure of like how hard a Ashes series is that uh, that's kind of what you have to line up and do with yeah well ve- ve- very early on the commentators were saying oh this could be over in two days as you know wickets were tumbling everywhere Australia yeah. England, England collapsed then Australia collapsed and then they thought oh this is going to be a two or three day test and then eventually stretched out and just, I, I, did, I did particularly like on the final day they, they delayed lunch because Australia were nine wickets down but then <laughs> uh, they didn't get out so they had the extra half hour and then they took 40 minutes off with the match in the delicate position of Australia needing 20 runs to win and England still one <laughs> wicket so uh, that, that must have been a very nerve wracking lunch I think I like that though I like having time to chew things over and assess the situation <laughs> and everyone comes out and everyone's on it from ball one yeah um, the other thing uh, I wanted to mention uh, this is from my day at the match this was the first <laughs> time I'd heard uh, beer snakes get their own song you know the beer snakes when they stack up all the um, yep. the empty plastic cups and make them into a huge giant uh, snake and it drips beer over everyone everyone gets larry and then you know you just eventually want someone to gets kicked out eventually yeah, yeah someone gets kicked out hopefully because otherwise <laughs> the whole stand becomes sort of like war zone this lawless like frontier yes. town <laughs> <laughs> but like at first they're quite good fun uh, and this uh, this was one of my more positive memories of beer snakes because everyone was chanting feed the snake feed the <laughs> snake <laughs> i didn't know they had their own songs so that was like a nice surprise for me fantastic and I, i've got i've got one final uh unnominated moment here and th- this is just kind of the, the official hashtags uh that both uh, nations had uh, for twitter we had return the urn for australia and england <laughs> just said hashtag rise in all caps so uh yeah not quite i don't sure. know what that was i remember even at the mm. time being a bit sort of um I mean, Australia's rhymed at least. Yeah, and you knew what it was about. <laughs> yes. I think this is just a fairly abstract concept. Yes. <laughs> Should we All get right. into the votes? Yeah, this, this is, is this a is tricky a, one. This is very tricky because I, I think in any any other test in we've ever covered, either Broad or Agar would be an effortless three pointer because they're they're both spectacularly ridiculous. I'm not yeah. sure it's fair to pit them against one another, but uh, I'm going to make know. the case for Agar because I I still think it was just one of the craziest things I have ever seen in my life. Easily the most ridiculous. Easily the most ridiculous. And we're talking Easily. about the Stuart Broad. <laughs> I mean, it's the like I say, it's the ramifications of the Broad thing because in the moment. Well, actually, in in the moment, the commentators are like, "Oh, well, he's out," and then <laughs> and then there's the sheer gall of the man to just stand firm, <laughs> and then the fact that the sort of ripples of this moment cascade through history. Uh, Stuart Broad's whole reputation in Australia is built on this, uh, this on him egg. being a shit bloke because of this one moment. Yes, and this is and it, this is you know not just any cricketer we're talking about. This is Stuart Broad we're talking about. The whole sort of um, personality hangs off this this moment. 
moment. How can that not be the winning moment? How can that not be our three-pointer? But but I, I, I think Agar is equally defined by the 98. And, you know, Agar is not, not the ridiculous great of uh, Stuart Broad, of course, but the, I, I think that Stuart Broad stretches across a whole, whole you know, lifetime of ridiculousness, whereas <laughs> Agar is just condensed into this one outstanding moment of just sheer absurdity. It is still the highest uh, <laughs> innings by a number 11 ever. Uh, and he did it on debut as a teenager, uh, seemingly fearlessly when Australia were, whatever they were, 117 for nine. It's, it's just absolutely mental. And, you know, it, uh, you know as I said, it, it was easily the, the most fun I've ever had on social media, I think. It was just a crazy period of play. Yeah, I'm sure you had plenty of fun off the back of Stuart Broad being a shit bloke as well. <laughs> that is, is true. He, is he not the grander figure out of the two? Is there, is there not more like weight and heft between, behind his case because of that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That that agar moment is is uh... anyway. I, I, I'm, I'm not the... sure. I'm not sure we get. I, I think this is the first time we've ever been deadlocked uh, with neither of us able to win the other over. Well, how do we um, decide this? Do we we can't do what uh, you can't share the points? Uh, I'm not happy with that. No, I don't, I don't, don't think that's right. I, 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 uh... Arbitration. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm misremembering how ridiculously thrilling the agar batting was. Why, why don't we pause the podcast and I'll go ask Pat Cummins how he remembers it. Okay, deal. Okay, we're back and I've got a voicemail. Okay, let's have a listen. G'day guys, Pat Cummins here. Um, Alex, I'm pretty confident uh, you're going to think that Stuart Broad not walking is the most ridiculous moment of this test, which is uh, just so predictable, just so bloody predictable. Um, and a little bit sad, to be honest. Um, I think it's been done to death by now. I mean, what's the big deal? A batter given not out, even though he should be in a tight Ashes test. Uh, Australia doesn't have any reviews to send it upstairs. Like, that happens all the time. I don't know why you're going on and on about this one. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think quite obviously uh, the Jägermeister, um, Ashton Agar smashing 98 on test debut, batting at 11, smashing Agar bombs all over the place. Uh, I'm pretty sure any cricketer would have to agree this is the most ridiculous and brilliant thing to happen in this test match. There you go. I think that settles it, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, um, I guess it does. I feel a bit like... Uh... I've never been sledged like that before by, <laughs> by someone of his stature. <laughs> there you go. You've been, a, you've been sledged by the Australian captain. I, I think you should, should take great pride in that. It softens uh, the blow. I think I'm, I'm happy to accept that uh, uh, he has the <laughs> casting vote here. Yeah, so there we go. Agar 3, Broad 2. Uh, who gets the one point? Um, Pat Cummins. Does Pat Cummins get a point for his intervention? <laughs> is that is that the official tiebreaker policy now? Ties will be broken by the most recent Ashes winning captain at the time of recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the current Ashes winning captain. That's now official ridiculous Ashes policy. All right. Now, let, let, let's, leave, let's see if we can find a real number one here. So we've got... Well, well let's quickly run through then what we've got remaining. We've got Jonathan Trott's test mm-hmm. trying to twat the stumps. Steve Smith. Steve, Steve Smith being picked. Yep. Uh, so the crab dancing, which I don't know really. <laughs> and oh, uh, Australia's reviews, which. Australia's reviews, yes. Kind of like propping up Broad a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I, th- I think I'm tempted to give it to the trot, mostly because of the the nonsense with the hotspot. 
where the hotspot wasn't available to save Trot because they hadn't set it up <laughs> to save Root, where it would have saved Root if, because it didn't show... Uh, it's, yeah, it's that, that yeah. entire convoluted thing seems to sum up the test rather nicely, I think. Yeah, that, that golden duck <laughs> does seem to sum things up quite well. So let's give one point to, to Jonathan Trot's test, well and in played. particular that moment. Yeah. So okay. I, I, th- I think that levels, levels it up, but uh, three for Australia and three for England, which means the first test is a draw yeah that that feels that feels a fair result really given the uh, contributions of both sides it does um, indeed and that kind of softens the blow of the whole uh, three points for agar thing for me yes <laughs> fair <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, go away and recover from pat cummins brutal sledging <laughs> so thank you for listening check out alex's website he's at kingcricket.co.uk uh, mine is at liebcricket.com yeah uh, you can follow us on twitter we're at ridiculous ashes or you can follow us separately at the king's tweets or at leap cricket and if you enjoyed this episode and want to receive future episodes early you could support either or both of us on patreon alex is at patreon.com slash king cricket and i'm at patreon.com slash leap cricket and we'll be back in a week with our coverage of the second test of the 2013 ridiculous ashes unless you get uh, this early in which case we might be more than a week we might be more than a week if you get this <laughs> early in which case treasure this one go back that's and your reward a longer yes. wait <laughs> So if not, subscribe to the podcast and give us your honest five-star ratings on the podcast store of your choice, and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.